Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our neighborhood. Welcome to Chatham Community Church. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to welcome you again this morning, and uh, I'm glad you're here with us. I'm glad to see some uh, unfamiliar faces. If you're a guest here this morning, whether it's your first time or your first time in a long time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Remember, if you've never gotten one of our welcome gifts, I say that for those who are returnees but have never picked up a welcome gift, make sure you pick, up, pick one up today. Uh, and if you are, and if this is your first time and you've not yet gotten one of our welcome bags, though I will say our welcome team and some of our hospitality folks have sharp eyes and they tend to seek people out and deposit bags on seats uh, but when people aren't realizing it. But if you happen to have not received one yet, please grab one on the way out there. Near the door, there are a way to say welcome to you and also uh, to share with you some of the blessings of being here in Chatham County because some of the gifts that we give are from local businesses and it's our way to support them. It's our way to celebrate and partner with them. So I'm glad you're with us here this morning. Like I said, my name is Jaime. Um, a few weeks ago when we started this series, which we started with that same music from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, I, I mentioned having, having gone to a movie theater to watch the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I mentioned that the theater was packed, which for a documentary is odd. And I mentioned that there wasn't a dry eye in the house, just emblematic of the impact Mr. Rogers had across generations. What I didn't mention is what, that when the lights came up in the theater after the movie, uh, it was impressive to see how different people in the audience were for, from each other. There were all ages, everything from children to folks who were clearly in the grandparent uh, stage of life. There were people of different ethnicities and cultures, uh, probably different socioeconomic status and different education levels. Um, and all there impacted, all there celebrating, all there to remember uh, uh, the treasure that was Mr. Rogers and that still is Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. You could say that Mr. Rogers had crossover appeal. Uh, and, and I've proven this even more as I've gone on YouTube and I've watched what are called reaction videos. If you've ever watched a reaction video, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, a reaction video is a video where they film someone while they are doing or experiencing something or watching something they've never watched before in order to gain their reaction, hence the title of a reaction video. And I've watched people reacting to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood from other parts of the world. I watched one uh, where, where folks in Korea were reacting this, and recently I watched one where, tri with, where tribal peoples, people who don't even own TVs but are aware of, of TVs and of that technology, are reacting to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, someone from a different culture, a different time than them. And then there's this, with all of them, there's this connection, this sense of, yes, this is good. Yes, this is useful. Yes, this is valuable. Yes, I can see how this would contribute to the good of uh, a child's upbringing and to the good of society. You could even say then, that Mr. Rogers doesn't just have crossover appeal, he has global appeal. Which begs the question, why is that? What's behind Mr. Rogers' appeal? Well, I'd make a case that it has something to do with, with Mr. Rogers' values. Mr. Rogers uh, was a Christian, he was a follower of Jesus. In fact, he was, a, he was an ordained minister. He didn't pastor at a church. He was ordained for ministry through television. That was his ministry, the show that he put out. And in talking about, in modeling, in, in showing what it meant to be a good neighbor, I mean, the opening song says so, won't you be my neighbor? In showing what it means to be a good neighbor, 
Mr. Rogers was teaching generations of children and generations of adults and is still teaching children and adults worldwide what it means to follow one of the things that leads to the best possible life we can live, one of the things that God wants for each and every one of us. He was teaching and is still teaching what it means to love our neighbors, what it means to love our neighbors. It was something that Jesus highlighted during his time on earth. In fact, when asked to summarize what the two, what the greatest commandments were, Jesus named two, love God and love your neighbor. And so for years and years, and thanks to technology, for years since, people are continuing to learn whether they are followers of Jesus or not, whether they believe or know God or not, they are learning one of the most important values in life, what it means to love our neighbors. So what if what makes people connect to Mr. Rogers across generational lines, across sort of the technology um, a gap, because obviously the film from uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood looks primitive compared to the quality of film we have now. What makes him connect with people who don't look like him, who are of a different, uh, uh, who have lived different lives than him? What if what makes people connect to Mr. Rogers in ways that are transformative, that transcend generational lines, cultural lines, ethnic lines, socioeconomic lines, is that when they connect with Mr. Rogers and with Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, they are coming into contact with Jesus. What if that's what makes the difference? That when they come into contact with someone like Fred Rogers and the things he taught, they are coming into contact with Jesus. This is the last week of our Won't You Be a Neighbor series here at Chatham Community Church. God has gathered us here in Chatham County, and, and he's placed us in educational spheres, in neighborhood spheres, in community spheres, in professional spheres here in Chatham County, and even beyond, thanks to technology and the other places that we inhabit due to work or studies or competition. And he's placed us into contact with hundreds and sometimes thousands of people who are potential neighbors people who we can be neighbors to, people who need our neighboring. And we've talked about the difference it makes in people's lives when they have neighbors who model and demonstrate love for them. We've talked about also the challenges and obstacles that come with trying to be a neighbor. We, we've talked about how to overcome those obstacles. And even we've given some practical steps that we can take to be good neighbors. And today, we're going to close out this series with one of the guiding principles for our neighboring efforts. You could say the core purpose of our neighboring efforts. And this is true whether you are a follower of Jesus or not. It's the purpose of being a neighbor. And it's true for neighbors that you have that are followers of Jesus and true for neighbors that you have that aren't followers of Jesus. God has placed us with potential neighbors so that we can foster opportunities for them to come into contact with Jesus. God has placed us to be neighbors and has given us potential neighbors, whether they are followers of Jesus or not, so that we can foster opportunities for people to come into contact with Jesus. And sometimes that means that we throw a party. 
and gather everyone to come into contact with Jesus. And in fact, that's what happens in the passage we're going to read today. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. For those of you who are less familiar with the Bible, Luke is one of the four accounts we have in Jesus' life which open up the New Testament or the Second Testament in the Bible. Uh, And those go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So it's the third book of the New Testament, and we're going to be reading in chapter 5. We're going to read verses 27 through 32. And if you don't have access to a Bible currently, whether a hard copy one or a digital one, it's going to be on the screen. So here we go. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then... Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his home, and a huge crowd of tax collectors uh, and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Let me give some background of what's going on in this passage. Um, It tells us that Levi was a tax collector. Tax uh, Tax collectors in those times were people who were from the local community, and they were selected or hired by the Roman authorities, right? Rome had an empire that stretched across a vast area, and so rather than stationing Roman people to do all the jobs for the Roman government in every single place that they occupied, they would hire and recruit people from the local town. And so Levi was one of those people. Levi was a Jewish man who was working for the Roman government, the Roman occupying force, the Roman empire. And his job was to collect tariffs, taxes, and send them to the empire. And as part of his contract, he got to decide then uh, on his fee, what he would take as well. And so there were tax collectors, or tax collectors had a reputation for overcharging and sort of lining their pockets thanks to the authority that was imbued in them by the empire, right? They would overcharge. They would send part to the, uh, the part that was due to the government, but they would charge a lot for themselves. And so they had a bad reputation. And because they associated with the Roman government, what would, would have been called a Gentile government, not a Jewish government, uh, they were usually ostracized from religious life. And for Jewish people, religious life is community life. So, so Levi has this job, he likely has this money, he likely has this influence, he has this power and authority, but he's been exiled, so to speak, from religious community life, from the core of the identity of what it means to be part of his people. And Jesus walks by, and Jesus, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish miracle-working rabbi, calls him calls him and invites him to be his disciple, invites him to be one that follows him, invites him to be one that is near him. He invites him into religious life. He does this publicly for everyone to hear. You can imagine at this tax booth, there were probably Jewish authorities or maybe people respected in the Jewish community who begrudgingly had to go to Levi to pay the taxes and they see this rabbi call This rejected man to be his disciple, Jesus honors Levi. He bestows honor on him when he invites him to be his disciple. 
And then Levi, in response, extends honor to Jesus by hosting a banquet for him. A banquet in his honor. He doesn't just invite him to his house for a family meal. He throws a party. He throws a party and Jesus is the guest of honor. And he doesn't invite just his small circle of friends. He invites what appears to be everyone that he could have possibly known. He empties the Rolodex. Not only does he empty the Rolodex, but somehow people from beyond his circle end up at the party too, right? Everyone is there. It was a place to be that evening, it feels like. The house is full. Everyone is there at the party. It's interesting, it's noteworthy that Levi's first instinct upon encountering Jesus, his first instinct when he encounters the Jesus who honors him, who invites him, who who calls him, his first instinct is to make space for as many as possible to meet that Jesus. For as many as possible to come into contact with Jesus. And also, right, and this is sneaky, also to come in contact with each other. See, at this party, it's not just one faction in the community. There's multiple factions in the community. Levi is being a neighbor to these people. And neighbors make space for people to connect to Jesus and to connect to each other. Neighbors make space for people to, create, to connect to Jesus and to connect to each other. Let's take that one at a time. Let's talk about connecting to each other. One of the roles that neighbors, that good neighbors play in community, one of the roles that loving neighbors play in community is that they bring people together who have experienced strife with each other. Strife with each other. Some of you are experienced at this. You are the person in the neighborhood or at the office or in school that everyone comes to to complain about somebody else. Right? You end up being the person, you know what so-and-so did to me? They took my stapler. I cannot believe that they took my stapler and they scratch it. And then the other person comes in. Can you believe this? I, I, I needed the stapler, and I thought he'd be, I grabbed it, and it got scratched, but it's like a, such a, he's making such a big deal out of it. And you end up being, some of us end up being the nexus for that. Good neighboring is providing opportunities for people to come together to work out their strife, to work out reconciliation, for healing to come. As a pastor, I get a lot of people who come to me to talk to me about the challenges they are having with others, the conflicts they are having with other. And my go-to line, my go-to line, my first response, and, and there are situations where this is not the, there are abusive situations, there are dangerous situations where this is not my response, but in general conflict or strife or disagreement, my, my first response is, have you talked to them? No. <laughs> How about you go do that? Could it be possible that the things you're assuming, the things you're thinking, the ways you're feeling about them are not exactly what's going on? Could it be possible that this could be resolved by having a conversation? And then I say, if you feel it's hard to do that, would you mind if I hosted a conversation for you all to get together? Because I know you both. You both are good people. You love God. I know you love each other. I know you want to be well. I'm happy to facilitate a space for you guys to talk, for there to be peace. That is good neighboring. Good neighbors help bring an end to petty neighborhood squabbles. 
about whose yard was mowed when or who puts up a lawn sign and who threw the party and who made the noise and whether or not they should have called the cops or not. Good neighbors create spaces because when people are with each other, especially when there are good intentions, when there are good hearts, squabbles get worked out. Disagreements don't become gaps or chasms. They, lead, they can lead to reconciliation. Good neighbors are also, have also been key to bridging cultural gaps, ethnic gaps, language gaps, and bringing reconciliation. Another way that neighbors play a role in connecting people to each other is by creating space for friendships to emerge. I've talked about the show Ted Lasso before here. And Ted Lasso, and Ted Lasso, there are a number of people who are in contact with different kinds of people. And there's this one episode where Ted goes to um, a, a, a South Asian restaurant. And he brings with him a reporter, a reporter who lives in England which is where the show takes place. And Ted knows the server, that he's met the server before. And so he introduces the server to the reporter. He introduces them, and they, oh, nice to meet you. And Ted looks at them both, and he says, congratulations, you just met a wonderful person. Part of the role we play in as neighbors in creating space for people to connect with each other is that we create space for wonderful people to connect for wonderful people to build relationship, for people who might not have had a chance to be in contact before to come into contact with each other. You ever had those moments where you're with someone uh, in one of your circles and, 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 and they say something and it makes you think of someone in one of your other circles and you're like, I'm pretty sure that if these two met, they'd be the best of friends. Some of you have thoughts like that and say, I'm pretty sure if these two met, they'd get married. Bless the Lord. Facilitate connections. Create space for wonderful relationships and friendships to happen. That's what it means to help people connect with each other, to make space for people to connect with each other. Good neighbors also make space for people to connect to Jesus. I had a mentor who I was meeting with at one point, and he was talking about um, how he sort of uh, thinks about his meetings with people or when he meets with people. And he told me, hi, mate. A number of years ago, I, I resolved something. I said, what'd you resolve, Rob? And he said, I resolved that whenever I left a conversation, that whenever someone left a conversation with me, I wanted them to feel like they'd been in the presence of Jesus. Now, he wasn't saying, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, I am God, I want them to think that I'm on a pedestal. But he wanted everyone that came into contact with him to feel like they'd been in the presence of someone that loved them, that valued them, that cared for them, that saw them, that helped them, that was there for them, that they had been as if they had been in the presence of Jesus. Friends, we can't bring physically Jesus into the room. We can't invite people like Levi did to gather around Jesus at a banquet. But you and I have the Holy Spirit in us. You and I are being formed into people who are like Jesus. And when we embody that in our interactions with people, we give them an opportunity to be in contact, in proximity with what Jesus is like. We give them the opportunity to be in contact with Jesus. We open the door for them to connect with him. Now, we don't always get it right. But what might it look like if each one of us made that our resolve in every interaction? That whenever people left our presence, 
it felt like they had been in the presence of Jesus. Whether they know Jesus or not, whether they can articulate it or not, the things that they can, that they could articulate, would, would resemble what it's like to be in the presence of Jesus. What would it be like if everyone who interacted with us when they left our presence thought, I felt loved in that conversation. I felt seen in that conversation. Some people would need to say, I'm glad that person kicked my butt in that conversation because I needed it. I needed someone to speak truth. I need someone to encourage me to take a different, to make a different decision. What if, what if they said, I've never been open to prayer before, but because I was in their presence when they offered to pray for me for healing or for the situation I was going through, I knew I could say yes. I knew it was right. What difference would that make in our organizations, in our classrooms, in our offices, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our sports teams, in any place that we are, in our families, what difference would it make? I want to invite you to make that desire your own. I would love, I would love it to be true that in Chatham County, anyone who came into contact with someone from Chatham Community Church would leave that encounter thinking that they had been in the presence of Jesus. That would be amazing. And also consider whether there are opportunities for you to be a bridge to reconciliation between people in your neighborhood, in your office, in your community who are in strife. But you are a person who could help bring reconciliation. Take those steps. Now, Jesus has invited Levi to follow him, and Levi has thrown a banquet for him, right? Levi is going to leave town just a little bit to be with Jesus for any number of years. And before he leaves, he throws this banquet for him. And it's noteworthy that Jesus comes, right? Jesus has invited Levi to go. But when Levi says, would you come to this party? Jesus comes. Jesus is with Levi. Jesus is with Levi's people. Jesus is willing to enter Levi's world before they leave. And Levi is in Jesus's world for however many years he is with them. He is being a good neighbor in doing that. He is being a good neighbor in entering into Levi's world. Friends, sometimes before people are willing to enter our world, before they're willing to enter into the spaces that we create in order for them to connect with God and to connect with other people, they need to see that we are willing to enter into their world, to be part of their experiences, to understand their lives. And there are opportunities for them to connect with Jesus there as well. So be willing to enter into your neighbor's world. Go to the cookout when they invite you. If there's a game, go see it. If there's a sports event, go hang out. If they're mowing the lawn or working on something, go see how they're doing. Go enter into their world. If they're struggling, preparing for an exam, go encourage them. Go encourage them. Go enter into their world. When I was in college, we used to, the, the Christian group I was a part of used to uh, have, we used to occupy tables in the sort of like uh, common area, the, the eating area, and other clubs did that as well. It was just where people hung out. And we always happened to find ourselves in proximity with a club that was uh, what we would call now nerd. They were nerds, but, 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 but back when that wasn't cool, back when that wasn't cool. 
So these were people who were a fan of video games, and they were a fan of Japanese animation, and they were all in that, right? They were like um, focused on that. Some might say obsessed by that. From the outside, at least, it looked like that. That was not a fair assessment of them, but that's what it looked like from the outside. And, you know, like we would always go and invite them to our events. It's like, hey, we're going to go have a prayer meeting. Do any of you want to come? Or, oh, we're going we're gonna to have a Bible study. Do you want to join us? And there was this one guy who was always there and happened to, you know, to invite him a lot of times. And then one day he said, you always invite me to come to your things. Why don't you join me at some of mine? Or why don't you ever ask if you can join me at some of mine? And I said, okay, let's do it. So for the next few weeks, I was immersed in conversations about video games. Good thing I like video games. Immersed in conversations about video games. I watched my first Japanese animation movie, uh, my neighbor uh, uh, Totoro or Totoro, depending on how you pronounce it. And uh, it was amazing. It was amazing because in that, by me just saying, okay, I'll enter into your world, he opened up to the story of his life, the things that he was passionate about, the things that he loved, the things that he was concerned about, and it opened the door for me to talk about the things that I was passionate about, the difference that Jesus had made in my life. And in fact, the ways I saw Jesus' love played out in some of the spaces that he was in and some of the things that he was passionate about. When we enter into people's world, we foster trust for the moments the moments that are going to come when they realize that they need something beyond, that they need prayer or that they need counsel or that perhaps something inside of them is longing for something spiritual. And if we have entered into their world, we will be the people that they call when those moments come. And they will enter into ours. Let's be good neighbors. Let's be good neighbors. So whose world might you need to enter into? Who in your life has been giving you opportunities or there are openings for you to enter into their world? That might be the key to fostering a good neighborly relationship with them. That might be step one or perhaps two or perhaps three for them to come into life-transforming relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus entering into Levi's world, hanging out with, uh, with these tax collectors and as the Pharisees called them, these sinners, fosters critique. Right, the Pharisees are watching this. Now they're at the party too, by the way. But they're watching this and they go to the disciples and they criticize Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It makes me think of a phrase we had growing up in Puerto Rico. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that gets said not just in Puerto Rico, but in other uh, Spanish-speaking countries. It says, Dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres, which uh, is uh, roughly translated as, tell me who you hang out with and I'll tell you who you are. Right? What, do we, have, we have versions of that in English, right? Bad company corrupts good character or something like that. We have versions of that, right? It's a, it's a, I think it's a universal principle. I think if we probe various languages, we will find sayings like this. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on in these Pharisees' critique. And the phrase doesn't come from a bad place. It is true that the company we keep affects us. It influences us, right? It does. It absolutely is good. But I think when this phrase and phrases like it are taken uncritically, they devalue the power of God. Because it's, while it's true that we might be hanging out with people, people are also hanging out with us. And when we only see it one way, that if we hang out with 
those kinds of people will become those kinds of people. What we're saying is that the power of God in us is not enough that, to say that by them hanging out with us, they might become different kinds of people. We devalue the power of God. We devalue the power of God. And Jesus answers them. And he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not called to come uh, to, call the right, to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus is, it's amazing because he positions himself as the doctor coming to the sick. And here's the thing. When the doctor comes into contact with the sick, and this is a generalization because I know it happens sometimes. Uh, all analogies break down at some point. The doctor doesn't become sick. The sick become well. And when Jesus comes into contact with brokenness, he doesn't break. Brokenness gets restored. Friends, I know that there are instincts in us that tell us, man, I shouldn't go to that hangout or I shouldn't hang out with those people. I shouldn't go into those spaces because there are all these things that are happening. I understand that those instincts are there. And I know for some of us, there, it is wise, right? There are some spaces that we shouldn't be at. Let me just give an example. If you have struggled with alcoholism in your life, you sh probably should not go hang out at a bar. It's, it's probably not the best idea in the world. However, 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 when Jesus came into contact with the broken the broken got restored. When Jesus came into contact with the sick, the sick got healed. When Jesus came into contact with those that were troubled, the troubled became well and free. And you and I are ambassadors of Jesus. And I think we can go into places with a little bit more confidence, a little bit more faith that we might bring light. Because when light comes into darkness, it is not the darkness that overcomes, it is light that dispels the darkness. It is light that dispels the darkness. Let us not be afraid. Let us not be afraid of hanging out with those kinds of people. Because here's the thing, those kinds of people are as loved by God as you and I are. Those kinds of people uh, are, the grace of God is as available to those kinds of people as it is to us. The transforming power of Jesus is as effective for those kinds of people. And I'm saying that in air quotes for those who are listening later on to those kinds of people as it is for us. Let's go to those spaces. So in light of all that, here's what I want to invite us to do at some point this summer. Throw your own version of the party at Levi's house. Throw your own version. I say your own version because I know I am not going to throw a party like Levi. This is not my personality. I'm not going to invite everyone I know to come to my house. I am an introvert, and the crowds like that scare me scare me. But I can throw my own version of that party. I can gather people in some way. I can, I can, I can foster a space where people who I don't normally hang out with or who don't normally hang out with each other can be together and hopefully connect with God and hopefully connect with each other. I am committing to do that this summer. I've already set up my back porch with, an, with enough chairs that I can invite 10 people to come hang out, to come chat. And I'm already starting to seed that with some of the people in my neighborhood. I hope to invite some people outside my neighborhood. So I'm going to do it. And I want to invite you to do it as well. Whether it's with classmates or workmates or neighbors or maybe a combination of multiple people. Maybe some of us need to just start with two people or one person and just create some space. Throw your own version of the party at Levi's house. 
create spaces for people to come into contact. Take a walk with someone. Ride a bike with someone. Make, go or host a cookout. Maybe some of us, we have this gift, you are the block party kind of person. Start a block party. Get with someone and do that. Whatever it is, I don't know. Cook some s'mores. Maybe throw in some Reese's peanut butter cups in that and I might join you, you know. Um, maybe it's a book club. Maybe it's inviting someone to go fishing with you. I don't know what it is for you. But this summer, make it a point to create some space for someone or someones to be around you and together to come into contact with Jesus and with each other. Now, in the passage, something that's striking to me that I, I, I didn't say earlier because I want to hone in on it now is that when Jesus called him, Levi got up left everything, and followed him. It is really easy to read over that because the party that happens after feels so big, but this is huge. This is huge, right? Think about your life. Like, let's say you are a student and you are on your way to college. Some of you are that. Let's say that you're taking the SATs and Jesus comes into the room and says, follow me, and you, you get up and leave. There are consequences to that, right? There are implications to that. Right, you're like, no way, Jesus, hold on, let me finish this SAT because i got to make sure I get into college. Um, some of you would not, you know, like leaving your job, leaving your responsibilities, that is a whole big deal. Who does that? Who does that? Who leaves everything behind? Who abandons responsibilities? And by the way, it's not like he can go back to them. Like, he got up, that's it, no longer a tax collector, he's done, he's done. What would it take, let me ask the next question, what would it take for someone to do that? It would have to be a compelling invitation. It would have to be a compelling person. It would have to feel worth it. It would have to feel like whatever is on the other side of that invitation is worth whatever you leave behind. In fact, it is even greater. And it seems that it's that way for Levi. It seems that it's that way, right? If Jesus' invitation is so compelling that he's willing to leave it all behind, then it makes sense that he throws the party that he does. Because he's encountered someone and experienced an invitation that is worth leaving everything for. Something that is so life-changing that it's worth leaving the life he's gotten used to behind. So it makes sense that he throws this party he wants everyone to have a chance to experience that. He, wants, he doesn't want to keep this to himself. He wants the, everyone to have the chance. Now, it's possible, it's possible that some of us here might have already written off this idea of throwing a party like Levi, right? We might think, well, it's daunting. I don't have time to do that. Or, you know, I'm shy. I don't know that I want to do that. But I wonder, I wonder if some of the reason why it might be so easy for us to write throwing a party like Levi did off and to opt out of it has to do with how we perceive Jesus. Has to do with who we think Jesus is. And here's my contention. We will never throw parties like Levi did unless we've encountered a Jesus as compelling as the one who called Levi. I want to say that again. We will never be the kinds of people who throw the kinds of parties that Levi did unless we've encountered a Jesus as compelling as the one who called Levi. So I want to take us a chance right now 
And I'm going to walk through some images, and I'm going to invite us to come into contact with that Jesus, to actually contemplate and reflect the Jesus who is being talked about here, the Jesus who Levi followed. And I want to invite you to contemplate that Jesus and see if that is the Jesus who has compelled you. Some of you might want to close your eyes. Some of you might want to just focus on the images and not hear me. Some of you might want to do both. Feel free to do whatever is best for you to reflect and engage with Jesus. See, this Jesus is a Jesus who loves. Jesus loves you. He loves me. He loves all of us. He is the embodiment of the love of our creator, the one who formed us into existence. Jesus is the embodiment of that love. Jesus' love is incalculable. We cannot fathom it. And Jesus' love is undiminishable. There is nothing you and I can do to add or subtract from Jesus' love for us. His love is unending. It is eternal. It is consistent. It is constant. That is the love of God. The Jesus that Levi follows has power. This is the Jesus who calms storms, who multiplies food so people had enough, who heals the sick, who brings the dead back to life, who provides what is needed in every situation. And he did that in the scriptures. He still does today. Is that the Jesus that you are following or contemplating? This is a Jesus who leads, he guides, he shepherds, he pursues, he knows his sheep. He knows his people and he makes himself known. His sheep know his voice. And when one strays, Jesus goes after. When one is attacked, Jesus protects and defends. When one is wounded, Jesus carries and mends. Jesus brings them back to health. He brings us back to health. Jesus is true to his word. He keeps his promise. We remember it every time we take the bread and the cup. That this, These were things Jesus said he was going to do, things he promised and that he fulfilled. Jesus never, prom never over-promises and under-delivers. Jesus always delivers on everything that he promised. He makes a binding agreement that he fulfills. He puts himself on the line for our sake. The Jesus that Levi follows is a Jesus that sees the marginalized. He sees the outcast. He came to bring good news to those who were on the outs. He is with them and he is for them. He is justice for those who've been wronged. He dignifies those who have been shunned. He values the undervalue. He is good news for those who've been left out. The Jesus that Levi follows is one that transcends religious, cultural, ethnic, political, geographic, and socioeconomic boundaries. He is not contained to any zip code or any time in history. He is relevant for and needed by everyone. He has international, eternal appeal. This is a Jesus who is truth. A Jesus who, sets, who defines reality and is consistent and stable in that. The Jesus that Levi follows is one who gives his life, stretched between heaven and earth, that you and I might be reconciled to God and to each other, and that things might be made right 
in our world. He lays himself on the line. He dies for us. The Jesus that Levi follows is one that does not stay dead. He has risen. He has conquered the unconquerable, where there had always been a period at the end of the sentence for the story of someone's life. Jesus started a new paragraph. And he has extended that to us. He rose and he is victorious. The Jesus that Levi follows is one that grants new life, forgiveness of sin. We are washed as people are washed in baptism. He does this for all who would decide to follow him and publicly declare their allegiance to him. He is one that grants new life. Jesus is Lord. He is trustworthy with all the decisions of our lives, big and small, because he knows the way to live the best life. Not only does he know the way to live the best life, he wants us to live the life we were created for, and he makes it possible. The Jesus that Levi follows is unmatched. He is the only one who could do these things. He is the only one who fits this bill. He is the only one. And this, my friends is a compelling Jesus. This is a compelling Jesus. This is the Jesus that Levi leaves everything for. This is the Jesus that we're invited to follow. We're invited to follow the Jesus who is worthy of receiving our all. And I don't do this in a condemning or accusatory way. I do this in a very real way. A Jesus that is less than that is not worth following is not worth following. So if the Jesus that you've fashioned in your mind, if, the Jesus, if who you thought Jesus was is anything less than that, I want to invite you today to make a decision to follow this Jesus. The Jesus who is worth giving our all to. The Jesus who is immeasurably compelling. And when you follow that Jesus, then you will be ready. You won't be able to contain yourself from making space for as many neighbors as you can to meet him. You will throw your own party at Levi's house. Do that today. I want to give you some, like three prompts for you to consider in the weeks that come as a response to this sermon and this series. The first is sort of a reprise of what I just said. Contemplate this Jesus. For some of you, this picture of Jesus is new. There are fashions of this you've never heard before, and you need to engage with that. Do so. Do so at your own time. Do so at your own pace. Really engage with it and then follow him. He's worth following. He's worth giving your whole life to. And then, and for some of the rest of us, commit. Commit to throwing your own version of Levi's party. I'm not going to ask you to take out your calendar now and schedule that party right now because that's not going to work. I know that. But commit. Make it a point. Make it a point at some point this summer to throw your own version of Levi's party. What I am going to invite you to do now is take a moment and think of who you're going to invite. Because I think if you come up with a name or a few names, it will start the engine going of what that party is going to look like. So right now, I'm just going to take five seconds. See what names come to mind. Throughout the summer, I want to hear the stories. I want to hear the parties. And just so you know, you don't have to invite me, but if you do, I'll be there. I'll be there, especially if it's s'mores with peanut butter cups. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on stage as I do so. 
Friends, this has been a fun series. I, I, can't, I can't wait to see what happens when we are the kinds of neighbors that love people like Jesus loves them and make space for them to encounter him. I can't wait to hear the creative parties. I can't wait to hear the stories that are going to come on the other side of this. Let's do it. Worship team, will you join me on stage as I pray? Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that you are so compelling that you are worth giving our lives for. Thank you that you are so compelling that we can throw a party, invite people to come into contact with you, and people's lives can be changed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have gone first. You've entered into our world. You've been with us. And you've modeled what it means to be present and to bring transformation. Lord, you've called us to be light. So let's do it. Let's do it this summer. In Jesus' name, amen.